The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to a uh, this edition of Untangling Transportation. We are on a new day and on a new time. Uh, here in uh, the month of October. Uh, this is uh, a first time for us. We're also trying a new format for this call. This is a, now a one-hour call. We're going to try to make things a little bit tighter, um, and but we're going to try to do a lot of really good conversation uh, in, in a slightly different format, and we're going to see how it goes. So welcome. Uh, I want to uh, acknowledge uh, Trish Lepofsky, who is going to be our host uh, this afternoon or this evening. And Trish, thank you so much. Um, also, we do have some background noise, Trish. So in your capacity, if you could please help whoever needs to get muted, do so. That'd be great. Happy to do that. Um, thank you. Um, I'd like to also acknowledge um, Chanel Allen, who is doing lots of extra duty. She's streaming. She's got us cooked up in Clubhouse. And uh, I really appreciate her uh, stepping in as well. I'd like to acknowledge all of you for joining us, those of you who are in on Zoom, those of you listening in on Clubhouse, and those of you who are um, participating via ACB Media. Welcome to this call. Um, I'm just going to take about a 10-second pause and let Trish get that line muted. I believe I found the person that was unmuted, and they are now muted. Excellent. Okay, cool. I'm, yeah, I'm still hearing some background, but hopefully that'll be it. Okay, great. Um, all right, let me just share a little bit about format. So I'm going to, this call is, it's kind of funny that we're doing this, you know, called today. Uh, this call is actually going to be um, really designed for your participation. So, um, you know, we are going to have a lot of opportunity to have conversation. I'm going to kick it off with some remarks about uh, our topic. Um, and then we're going to just have a conversation. And the real point of this conversation, um, I think, will become obvious as we go into it. But it's about paratransit. Uh, and it's about how do we make this service that a lot of us depend on. Uh, some of us use it for all of our transportation. Some of us use it for a little bit. Some of us don't use it, but maybe we have friends who do. Um, and and uh, maybe some of us have no idea what I'm talking about. But we'll get into that and, and go from there. Um, but uh, it's a big deal, and, and we're going to talk about how do we make it better? Should we make it better? Is it something that can be made better? And if so, how? And that's really what I want, want to do. Um, so let me just go ahead and set the stage. And um, so for those of you who um, who know me, and I think yeah, some, some of you do, and maybe some of you don't, I am a member of ACB. I joined ACB in 1990. Uh, I was a scholarship recipient, um, part of the, uh, way back in 1990, I came to the Denver Convention uh, back then and, and took my scholarship, and I joined the National Alliance of Blind Students, which has been renamed uh, since, since then um, uh, to ACB students. But uh, I, I got very involved in ACB and, and really found a home here, and um, I... And, 
at that time I was finishing undergraduate and heading to graduate school. I was going from Indiana. Oh, I graduated from Indiana University. I was going out to San Francisco State to be an international relations uh, student. And I was going to get into, I don't know, saving the world or something. So I get out to San Francisco and I'd, I had used public transit as a, as a blind person for you know, pretty much my whole college career. And you know, back in Indiana, where I grew up, the public transit wasn't very good. So I didn't have my expectations weren't too high. Um, and paratransit really didn't exist. And if it did, I didn't know about it. Um, but I got to San Francisco, went to San Francisco State. And, you know, they have a lot of public transit there. They had trains, they had buses, they had light rail, they had cable cars, they even had ferry boats. Um, and I used all of that public transit. And, and I found it liberating and exasperating at the same time. Um, and it was liberating because I could, I could go to a lot of different places, but it was exasperating because uh, the, the drivers usually didn't call the stops. I mean, usually they didn't call them like most of the time. Um, and they groused about it when they did. And, and um, you know, they weren't very nice sometimes. And the buses weren't all that great to ride in sometimes. And, you know, the, there were there were some safety challenges around some of the stops. I mean, they're just, you know, the kind of issues that probably any bus rider is familiar with. So I had an opportunity to get involved in the industry um, as an advisor on an advisory committee. So somebody said, hey, you want to go to this advisory committee meeting? And I thought, sure, I want to go. I want to tell them what I think of their service. And um, I went to the advisory committee meeting. It was for BART, the, the local subway system. And I found myself fascinated by this industry that I actually knew very little about. And uh, I got very involved and as, a, as a volunteer. Uh, the people there liked me because I tended to be the person who would listen to everybody talk and go, hey, I hear this and this and this. These are common themes. What if we did this? Maybe a lot of people would like it. Um, and so they gave me a job as a planner and I worked in accessibility planning. That was back in 1993. And I've been involved in public transit ever since. Um, I, I never left the industry. It's where I'll finish my career at some point in the future. Um, and, and so I've spent 30 years in this industry working on paratransit and on accessible fixed route, bus, rail, all those things. And um, and that's about the same amount of time that the ADA has been in effect in public transit. Uh, so I, I've really been involved since the regulations were written uh, by the U.S. Department of Transportation back in 1991 that came into enforceability in 92 that really defined how we do paratransit as an industry. And... Since 1992, a lot of things have changed in public transit in general. I mean, a lot of things. You know, back in 1992, we didn't have cell phones, from, or at least most of us didn't. Uh, the, the Internet was, it existed, but it was pretty new, and a lot of people didn't really use it. Um, GPS existed, but it wasn't something that was on anybody's telephone, uh, and it was nothing that people used in the regular course of business. Um, and, of course... We had cabs, but we certainly didn't have services like Uber and Lyft and, and, and some of these things. So the world was a really, really different place. And, and ADA and the paratransit requirements were a function of the time that they were written in. Um, you know, the way that, the paratran that paratransit was designed was based on what the industry could do in 1992 
with the technology that existed back then. But but now a lot of things have changed. We have we have GPS. Uh, everybody, if you have a phone, it's got GPS on it. Uh, vehicles, for for the most part, every transit vehicle that's that's operating in the country now has some kind of GPS tied to it. It may be tied. It may be an actual GPS system. It may be just something as simple as uh, a a fuel tracker. Uh, but there's GPS on virtually every vehicle, uh, and they're tracked. You know, people look at them; they can see where they are on a map. Um, GPS technology and mobile phones allowed us to invent everything from uh, real-time vehicle tracking to Uber and Lyft and services like that. Um, all of those things have happened since 1992. Uh, and yet, uh, well, and so, and just to continue, so if you think about transit. Uh, transit systems nowadays are offering many services that are designed uh, to provide real-time uh, access to transportation right now. So, for example, you can go out in many cities around the country and use a service called Microtransit, uh, which is an app-based service. You, you, you know, download an app, you go out, you request a trip, and the vehicle will meet you at a nearby corner and take you to where you need to go. And it'll meet you in about 15 minutes or so, maybe in half an hour, depending on how busy the service is. And it'll take you somewhere within a small area. Uh, that service exists in many communities across America and it's expanding rapidly uh, because, and people like it because it's on demand and it's quick. Um, lots of agencies are partnering now with services like Uber and Lyft uh, to offer you uh, real-time immediate access to a trip maybe from your home if it's a few miles from a bus stop instead of having to walk to a bus stop that's maybe a little too far you can actually take a ride in an uber or lyft that's subsidized by your taxes uh, to get you to uh, to a train station or to a park and ride to catch a bus yeah these are very commonplace services nowadays and yet if you think about ada paratransit the service that many people depend on because they're not able to use some of these other services for one reason or another, and the services are next day based. They're negotiated pickup times. They are 30 minute pickup windows. Uh, they are shared ride that might take half an hour if nobody shares your trip or two hours if two other people do. Um, and now with the addition of driver shortages, we have lots of issues with on-time performance and capacity. And you know, there are agencies in this country uh, that are denying trips, which is actually against the law. Um, so, so there's a lot, you know, there's the paratransit has, you know, the industry's changed, but, but in a lot of places, paratransit has not. So, so that's been kind of happening in the background as over the last few years. Well, um, it started to become a point of conversation in September. Um, and we have some background noise again, if you could check into that, uh, Patricia, uh, folks, if you're not on mute, please go to mute. Um, so, um, in September, the uh, Federal Transit Administration um, administrator, the person who was appointed by President Biden to oversee that uh, that uh, operating arm, and what the FTA does is it hands funding to the transit industry, and it oversees the industry for compliance with federal law. That those are its two primary functions. Um, the administrator posted a letter 
called a Dear Colleague Letter. And a Dear Colleague Letter is basically, it's not a law because the FTA doesn't have lawmaking authority. Uh, but what it is, is guidance. It's, it's a letter that basically says, in our opinion, this is what the law requires, or these are these are things that you are allowed to do within the exist you know, within the current law. So the FTA administrator published one of these dear colleague letters, and the letter basically said a couple of things. It said one, paratransit. Um, you know, we're concerned about equity. We're concerned that that all of our that all of the people who use transit, public transit, which of course includes paratransit, are treated in an equitable way. And it said that in order to make paratransit more equitable, um, you can provide agencies. You are allowed to provide on-demand paratransit. Um, it went on to say that you could use federal funds to provide on-demand paratransit. Now, this last part's kind of funny because the FTA, actually their transit agencies get funding, but it's mostly for equipment and technology and vehicles. It's not, it's not a lot for operations. So that was a little bit of a misnomer. But what the letter really did is it really said two things that were important, I think, to us as advocates. One, it said, um, you are allowed to provide on-demand paratransit. It's it's okay. You're allowed to do it. You can do more than what the law requires. The second thing that it said, and it said it kind of in a weird way, when it said paratransit, you know, we want to make it more equitable. You know that that's another way of saying it isn't currently very equitable. Um, and of course, we as folks with disabilities who use it understand that it's not very equitable, uh, but it's nice to have somebody actually say it out loud, especially when the person who said it is a presidential appointee who oversees the agency that oversees compliance and the money. So that that was important. The The other thing that happened, happened this month, it happened two months, two weeks ago. We had at an industry conference, and the transit industry has an has an association called APTA, which is the which is a trade association. It's it's kind of like the home the home builders association or the you know uh, I don't know name a big industry association. It's it represents the industry uh, in terms of lobbying, uh, in terms of advocating for for funding. Uh, it also serves as the place where all of the industry leaders kind of come together to talk to each other about, you know, the industry. We had a con an annual conference, 12,000 people are in attendance, and we had a session actually called Rethinking Paratransit, Can We Do Better? Um, and that's the first time we've actually had a conversation about paratransit to say, is the status quo good enough? Um, I'm going to stop again, and I'm going to ask that the moderator please mute the call. Ron, it looks to me like it's either Trish or Janelle. Those are the only two that are unmuted. Okay. So Yeah, and okay. I don't have anything in my background, so I'm not sure. Okay. Neither do I. Okay. Somebody, ha whoever has a TV. Yep. <laughs> okay, so somebody just took care of it. Thank you. Um, okay, so um, 
So the industry finally, for the first time in the industry's, in, in my knowledge, I began at 30 years, a long time, um, we actually had the conversation, should we change the status quo? And, and the answer, there were four of us on the panel. Um, I was probably the outlier. I was a little bit more aggressive than some of the other people. Um, we had the, the paratransit VP for the sit for New York's uh, Metropolitan Transit Authority, which is the largest transit agency in America. Um, and he talked some about the fact that we need to make paratransit more responsive to the needs of customers. And that that was good. That was good that he said that. And New York City has been you know trying to make some efforts to do that. Uh, the other folks you know talked a little bit less about policy and more kind of about things they're working on. Uh, but I took a policy role and basically said these things, and I laid some things out, these are currently not fair, they're not equitable, they should change. And um, so, you know, right now I would say that the industry as a whole is starting to recognize the need for the conversation and, and it's going to be important for advocates, folks with disabilities, either who use the service and or folks with disabilities who, who are advocates in their community, leaders in their community, um, it's going to be time for us to start speaking up and really starting to to get clear with with our local transit agencies uh, about the fact that uh, paratransit needs to change. And what I really would like to do with this call is talk about a few things that are in the law right now that I think represent opportunities. And then I'd like to open it up uh, and invite each of you to share ideas that you have or concerns that you have. Because one of the things you know, as that I certainly as a, as a person in the industry wanna do um, is, is really push on things that the community thinks are important um, and achievable. Um, and, I, and I wanna make sure that um, as a community we are starting to listen to each other around this topic so we can start to get clear and speak with one uh, voice because one voice said by many is gonna be more effective than a lot of different things being asked for by a lot of different people. Um, so really that's kind of the purpose of this call. It's really just to dig in and talk about, should it change? And if so, how should it change? Um, and by the way, if you don't think it should change, that's okay too. Um, I think our goal is to kind of hear uh, from lots of people. Um, so before I open it up, um, let me just Brandon, uh -huh. yeah. Go ahead. You're going to open up. I just want to let you know you have three hands raised. Perfect. Um, I'm going to give you three examples, then we're going to open it up. Um, in the law, in the ADA itself, um, paratransit eligibility is, there. there's very specific requirements for paratransit eligibility. And yet paratransit eligibility is regulated locally. It seems to me that nowadays it makes, we have better, you know, we have, everybody is networked, everything's online. Why not have a, more of a national approach to eligibility uh, so that folks who travel can travel without having to re-register in every city they go to? Um, and why not have a more equalized process across the country? Why have literally a thousand different processes for eligibility, depending on where you live. Uh, second item is paratransit fares. Uh, the law specifically allows agencies to charge twice as much for paratransit as for bus or rail service. Why is that? Why should that be the case given that most people who use it have 
they're using it because that's the only system they're able to use. Um, and then a third example has more to do with service area. I'm sorry, with um, advanced reservation. Is it time for us to start talking about on-demand paratransit, given that we're proving every day that we can provide on-demand service to other customers because we're doing it already? So I'll stop there. Uh, we do have hands. And again, let me just give you the format because I want to make sure people give the feedback in ways that we can use. And this is being recorded. If you can share your name and your city, just so I have a context, and share, um, first question is, should it be changed? Second question is, what should be changed? Um, and then let's, and, and then maybe just quickly why. Um, and, you know, I want to get to as many people as we can. So if you could be super efficient uh, with your comments, that would be great. And let's open it up. Hey, first we have Jewel G. Go ahead, Jewel. You need to unmute, Hi. Jewel. Yep. There we go. Okay. So this is Jewel Gaspard, now in Nashville, Tennessee, um, as of September. Um, and uh, first, yes, I think things need to be changed. Um, what needs to be changed? Um, fair, yes. So, like, charging somebody $7 for a trip is outrageous when people with disabilities can't afford things already. Um the scope and range of transportation. So, like, um, you know, if you go to a city, you move to the city. I'll just say Nashville just as an example. You should be able to go anywhere that that transportation takes you. For example, Nashville transportation will take you to Clarksville. Will take you to Franklin. You know, various places. But paratransit will not. And with and once you're at in Clarksville and Franklin and wherever else. There's transportation there. But if you have paratransit, you can't get there by paratransit. And then once you're there, you have to do special things to get that paratransit in that new city and then transfer it back. And it's just chaotic. Yeah. So that would be the two things that I would say. Obviously, there's more, but I'll leave it at that. It's a great start. Thank you very much. I, mm -hmm. I knew that it was going to be something because we've talked before. So thank you. I appreciate that. Patty, go ahead. Okay, first of all, somebody chatted and the screen reader obliterated most of what she said, just to let you know for your recording. Um, so, first of all, absolutely, things need to be changed. I think that we must have a standard... I think a federal standard for fair, for certification. And I also feel that we should have more of a standard across the board for what transit needs to be doing with their paratransit. For example, I just wanted to ask you when you talked about um, all the things you've done. Would you like to come to Kingsport? We don't have drivers um, calling out stops. We don't have an automated uh, stop call out. I have no idea where I am when I ride to uh, wherever I am, whether it's mass transit, paratransit, whatever. Um, you know, unless I'm going straight from point A to point B and I don't 
have to stop anywhere along the way for another person. I have no idea where I'm at. So those are very big concerns. And now I've run into a lot more. And at some point, I would love to just chat with you because I'm just ready to give up. I'm I'm frustrated. In fact, I'm moving and very soon to another city because Kingsport is just not um, amicable. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it's too bad because it's such a beautiful part. Yeah, they, they refuse to be amicable. So, All right, next person. Sue Ellen, go ahead. Hey, um, it's Sue Ellen in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, paratransit definitely can do better and should do better. Um, where to begin? That is the question. <laughs> Um, I do think that there needs to be some work done. I think there should be some sort of layered thing because I'm not sure what it how it should how this would work. But when you have some situations where people are getting to places 35, 40 minutes before they need to be there, before places are even open, um, that can present a whole other set of issues. So I think there needs to be something worked on with timing. But I think also there needs to be work done with getting with the whole service animal issue. Um, because even though paratransit will take you, it doesn't mean they're happy about taking you if you're traveling with a service animal. And it doesn't mean that they make it comfortable or welcoming. And, you know, so I think those two issues also do need to be addressed. Mm -hmm. um, Sue Ellen, just a follow-up question. Are you referring to service provided by TARC-3 directly, or are you referring to services that are provided by, uh, like, taxi drivers or... Um, um, oh, I'm just, I'm paratransit. I'm talking about paratransit. The, okay. the, the other thing is a whole other issue, whole other right. can of worms. Right, right, right. Okay. No, that's helpful. I appreciate that. So, um, excellent. Thank you. Okay, next, we have Nora. Go ahead. Okay. Oh, good afternoon. And Thanks. my thing is, well, I'd like to see change. Is, but we would uh, like to see change to have a whole lot more drivers hired. Because out here, I'm north from Phoenix, Arizona, and I've gone paratransit only when I'm uh, going out of out of the city into another city, but we uh, we still need to hire more drivers and um, save a budget so we can hire a whole lot more to the. You know, the more drivers we have, the less time consuming it would be to uh, wait wait for your ride, or you know. And then I like the on demand. I like to see that change to on demand. Along with the uh, grant call uh, reservations, and I'd like to see. I forgot the perfect. Anyway, um, that's pretty much it. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Oh, yeah, one more thing. I'd like to see dialogue come to be more on time, not to be so late or early. Thank yeah. you. Mm -hmm. Next, we have area code 408-139. Go ahead. 
408. That sounds like the San Jose area. So. Okay, uh, they're still muted, so we'll move on to the next one. Mm -hmm. Doreen, go ahead. Hello, hello. Yep, here we go. Yes. I'm sorry, I was unmuted. Okay, ah, this ahead. is Lupi okay. Madrona from San Jose, California. Mm -hmm. May I go on? Yes, yes go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. Okay, okay. My name is Lupi Madrona from San Jose, California, Silicon Valley Council of Blind, and recently I moved from one address to another. Um, I was in the three-fourths um, area before. When I moved to a new address, I was one mile away, which I wasn't well aware of at, uh, yet. I moved in October of last year. And on May, March of 3rd of this year, I called for a ride, and they told me that BTA had updated their maps and that now my area was out of service and that I had to pay $16. And I said, why? I said, because my area was out of service, and so I checked it out and had been one mile. So they should have been technically charging me since the very beginning because it was one mile. But they updated their maps, which to me sounds very, I don't know, unethical and sneaky in a way. And so I come up and I says, I cannot be paying $16 each way because, I mean, I don't have that kind of money. But they did charge me for three days, $112 for seven trips. So I called them back, back up and I says, you know what, I don't have that kind of money. So I need to have $72 refunded because if not, I'll have to proceed legally. And three days later, I did get $72 back, and they're still charging me $4 because I told them I will not pay $16 because I don't have that kind of money. And they cannot prevent me from going to where I need to go to, on a, you know, wherever I need to go. And so I'm trying to get that $16 out-of-service fee um, taken out because for a lot of us, whether we're out-of-service or not, if we're in the county, we should be afforded paratransit rides and not at $16 at $4. And so uh, that's what I'm working on right now. And another thing I also uh, recently um, worked on was also on religious rights because I belong to a group where we go to different uh, churches every month. It's on a Saturday. And for a lot of the members, uh, some of them did not have their buses running or their out-of-service area, uh, like myself. And so I told them that uh, we have also religious rights. And I don't think the ADA can supersede the Constitution where we are afforded freedom of religion and the First Amendment. And so I told them that we need to have everybody come to these events because it is our right. And, you know, it's, 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 it's just really uh, hard for a lot of people. And for a lot of us, like myself, it's the only opportunity we'll have to hear Mass, receive communion, and socialize with our friends. And so I was able to get them to acquiesce. And now our members are getting uh, rights every Saturday or each month for our events. Thank you. Well, first off, um, congratulations on those wins because the two things that you just referred to um, legally, they don't, they, they don't, they don't actually have to do them. So you, you really had a good win there. Um, so, um, but having said that, your issues are very similar to the ones that Jewel raised, uh, which go to service area and 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 fares to, uh, as well. Uh, and sixteen dollars is an awful lot. So. <laughs> Uh, I certainly hear you. So, uh, go ahead. Who's next? Hi, this is this is Doreen Cornwell. <clears throat> excuse me from Seattle. Um, I think we touched already a bit on service area. In um, so King County is geographically large. Urban areas are pretty concentrated, but there's plenty of people who actually need. If paratransit existed, um, or if fixed route existed in their area they would fully qualify for paratransit 
And <clears throat> so that gets adapted a few different ways. There's a bunch of different small services and there's a whole process project now to <clears throat> make those fault, those small services visible if you're doing trip planning. Um, it's a whole there's a bunch of different computer science pieces and then there's some accessibility pieces. And anyway, it's a whole big cooperative effort. Um, but there's a few things. Some parts of the network reply, re still rely on pretty advanced booking and volunteer drivers, but volunteer drivers are um, aging or limited themselves. And so there's a how do you drive the resources? And there's also always an issue with wheelchair capable vehicles even if you're doing um some of the paratransit like right in seattle is contracted out to like taxi companies but the number the that the demand for wheelchair accessible vehicles is way bigger than the supply so that's a bunch and yes i think and, and then i collect people's complaints and we have a lot of people who gets routed on really ridiculous routes all over the county that take three times as long as it would be if they could ride the fixed but fixed route bus and there's some like climate change thing that that contractor cites when they have it's not just it is partly driver shortage but you know it's also let's have lots of people on the vehicles too because that looks efficient to other people even though it does result in unplanned tours of king county um and the the cross county issue um the the there's the service area when you're crossing counties and some of the um counties north and south of seattle like they don't have they don't have fixed bus service on certain days and so that of course um limits what it things get stretched but it's still not full access to paratransit and then Further south, there's another county that's doing a lot of arbitrary, oh, that trip qualifies, oh, that trip doesn't qualify, oh, you will give us a ton of medical documentation and we will basically ignore it and make assumptions about what people can do. Um, so so I have a lot of things to say and I definitely think paratransit should evolve. Um, and I've had said plenty, so thank you so much for the opportunity to speak. Wow. Okay, next we have Starry. Go ahead. Hello, this is Tariqa Walton from St. Louis, Missouri. And first, I want to say yes, I definitely think there should be changes. And second, this, one of the things I think needs to be changed is fair. And another is operation procedures. I liked your idea on having a national paratransit um, card standard whatever so that we don't have to keep submitting paperwork every time we want to travel it could be like a paratransit passport where if you qualify in one state perhaps you qualify in another and it automatically goes on your card or whatever and so that brings me to a national standard for paratransit when it comes to operations. Here in St. Louis, if you want to qualify for color ride, you have to go in, do some physical paperwork or print out a PDF because they don't have an online form. And 
you have to basically answer a million questions, go on a short walking tour, all so they can tell you, oh, in these conditions, you can ride paratransit, but in these conditions, you can't. And so I think, one, if you qualify, you ought to qualify, for one, and why are there conditions? And two, for the fare, I really don't think you should be paying twice as much as if you could ride the bus, because if you're taking paratransit, just because you can't ride the fixed route does not mean you should have to pay more. And so those are my two things that I wanted to say. Thank you for your time. So I did want to come back to your first point uh, around uh, the conditional eligibility, which is the, the technical term for what you described. That is actually written into the law. And it's it's very interesting because the idea behind conditional eligibility, and I'll use myself as an example, um, I'm pretty able to use buses and trains for a lot of trips, but there are certain trips, like trips I've never taken before, um, where um, I certainly do not know how to use transit to make the trip, and fair transit works better. And the idea behind conditional eligibility was because it's expensive and because you know it's really designed as a safety net, Paratransit should only be used for trips that people cannot take um, on their own on a you know on regular public transit. The the problem is is that the industry in 30 years um, has never figured out a really good and effective way to manage conditional eligibility. And in most systems, uh, we tell customers, we being the industry you are conditionally eligible. You can use the service on these conditions and on these other conditions, um, you can use the bus or the train. And But we don't have a mechanism to enforce it. And we usually just end up doing whatever the customer said in the first place. So the question is, does it even make sense? Um, um, I, in my early part of my career, I thought we should strictly enforce it because I really believed in what the industry was trying to accomplish. What I've seen in my long time in the industry is we really don't, as an industry, know how to do it. We probably never will. Um, and <laughs> frankly, I don't think we probably want the liability of, of telling somebody you have to use the bus today, having them try it, maybe getting injured and then been suing us. <laughs> so, um, so it's one of those things where I think the intention was good, but I think in practice, it's not, it, we've, it's not proved to be very you know, something that we can manage. Um, so anyway, I appreciate yes, those definitely. comments. Yeah, because yeah. it's very strange in my situation since I can pretty much figure out how to take the bus or the train anywhere. Mm -hmm. Really, my conditional eligibility would mean I could only take paratransit at night. Mm -hmm. So it's very strange. Yep, it's actually not that uncommon, but um, I hear you. It's, um, and I'm guessing that you've never been denied for a trip that you've requested. Well, I stopped using paratransit because okay. of trip denials. I didn't get denied personally myself, but it was so difficult to get a trip with right. the, oh, we'll pick you up like two or three hours before you really need to be picked up that I just stopped using it. Yeah. Yeah. And St. Louis has had a terrible driver shortage lately. So um, anyway, thank you. Next. And we okay. have a hand in Clubhouse whenever you're ready okay. to take that. Let's go. Let's go out to the club. Yeah. We have Bob Kavanaugh. Bob, you may unmute. 
Okay. Otherwise, we have. Oh. Oh, oh, can we hear? Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, um, my my name's Bob. Um, I live in Vancouver, but I'm actually currently at the Washington Council of the Blind Convention <laughs> up in SeaTac. Um, absolutely, I think paratransit should change. Um, I think, um, in addition to what everybody else has been saying, what I would add is, um make, I would say, make on-demand paratransit the rule rather than the exception, number one. And number two, um, the other thing that I would change is standardize when systems, actually there's two more things I would change. Number one, uh, standardize when systems can accept reservations. Because so I grew up north of Seattle in Edmond, Snohomish County. Up there, we can call in a ride a week in advance. Now I've moved to Vancouver, I can only call in two days in advance. So I think we should standardize that if we continue to, if we continue to um, be, you know, day before based. Uh, and number two, the other thing that I would change is, particularly in larger metro areas where you have multiple jurisdictions, if one paratransit service is doing something like I know King County, for instance. You okay? Was um was uh, testing out. Uh, I don't know if there's still Doreen would know more about this than I do than I would. Um, but they were testing out um some kind of pilot project with Uber, but. You know, that's only in King County. I live in Snohomish County. I should be able to access that too. So, like, we should have, like, more regional coordination so that if someone, you know, in one county wants to try out a pilot pro program, uh, then they should be able to access that, even though that might not necessarily be their, their home transit agency. Mm -hmm. Yep. Understood. Thank you. Okay, are there any more hands in Clubhouse? We do have somebody, but they already spoke in Zoom. So go ahead with the rest of your queue, and then maybe we'll okay. come back. All right. Okay, Deanna, go ahead. Do you mean Diana? Diana, sure. Diana, I'm okay. sorry. Go ahead, Diana. Okay. I wasn't sure. Um, <clears throat> sorry about that. Yes, I uh, live in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, so I use the Tulsa Transit. Um, of course, Tulsa is the second biggest city in Oklahoma. Um, and yes, do I definitely believe things need to change? Yes, they do. Um, on my priority list from the least important of the three things that you gave, from the least important to the most important, I would say yes, national registration would be very would be awesome, especially for individuals that travel out of their their regular city. Um, but to me would not be as high a priority as some of these other things, but it would be good to have. Um, fares would be my second highest, my next highest priority. <clears throat> and I would say because, and I love the, I do love the idea that the lady gave a while ago though, about the paratransit passport. I would, I, it just needs to even be named that paratransit passport. I love it. 
Um, <clears throat> but the fares, everybody's correct. We should not have to pay twice as much for our, our fare. Um, but the third thing is the on-demand. Yes, I love the gentleman before that said on-demand ought to be the uh, norm, not the exception. Um, but right now in Tulsa, we are having a big problem that I would be happy if we could even call in the day before and get a ride anymore. They recently, within the last six months, did institute a, um app system and you can pay online and those kind of things. Well, while it has its benefits, because I think it did speed up the amount of time that you have to ride around, it did make it a little bit less in most cases, not always, but in most cases, slightly less. Um, it also create and, and you can see on the app, if you're able to access it, you can see like there's one stop left, there's two stops left. It has a little number for you. So you know which one you are, if you're able to see, if you're able to see it, um, and it is, the app is accessible for, oddly enough, usually screen magnifier users have better access to things than the screen reader users. In this instance, it's actually the opposite. The screen reader users are having much more success with the app. Low vision users that are used to using screen magnifiers, it will not magnify the app at all, no matter whether you're using the native applications on Android or iOS device, such as Zoom. Um, but it will not, it will not magnify it or whether you're just trying to do pinch and zoom, it won't do that. Um, so it is inaccessible to anyone that needs screen magnification. What, what app um, is that? I'm just curious what app it is. Well, they call it on here, uh, Tulsa transit, Tulsa micro transit, which it's actually, it services the micro transit, but it also services the lift. Uh, uh -huh. They call it the lift. L I F T is what the paratransit uh -huh. is called here. Okay. Um, so it gets kind of confusing between L. So I always say L Y or L I, depending on which one I'm talking about. Right, um, right, right. But it's called. But I think it's administered when I. So you can pay online. When I pay online, it's something called RideCo. Oh, okay. Yep, that's a company that produces ma uh, apps. Okay, good. Okay, that's good to know. Yes, because and we're we're supposed to be well anyway an individual is supposed to be talking to the Tulsa transit, someone from the Tulsa transit about this issue soon. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, uh, but the mo but the problem that it has created, which those things were great that I just mentioned, but it has created a horrible problem now in that we used to be able to call. It was always like day before call the day before and you could get a ride the next day. It might not be exactly when you wanted, you might have to wait an hour for your ride, but you could call the day before and get a ride. Now, and I don't know what is causing this to happen, but ever since this app went into effect, now you you can only, if you don't call three days, because they always had had that before where like on a Monday you can call and get rides. You could get rides for Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Right. Well, now you're in theory, you're still supposed to be able to do that. But if you don't call or access the app to schedule your ride or call the uh, customer service representatives immediately like on Monday, because you want a Thursday ride. If you don't call by 8 a.m. on Monday or get it or schedule it on the app by 8 a.m. on Monday for that mm -hmm. Friday ride, you will not get it. Yeah. It actually returns back that there is no, no rides available. I can't remember the exact message it gives you, but 
there are no rides available. I've heard stories of people calling and waiting right. in the queue. And it used to say, you are number 35 in the queue. You mm -hmm. are number 50 in the queue. Now that I'm hearing that they don't even tell you where you are in the queue, but people are calling and waiting for two hours just to be told they can't get a ride for three days away. Excellent. Thank you for that. <clears throat> um, so that's where we're at. So I don't know what's going on with that. And I know that's a specific problem to a specific city, but right now I would oh, no, be happy yeah. if we could even have the day before call the day before to get a ride the next day, more or less on demand. Cause Got if it. you don't, I mean, and people are setting alarms at night that the minute it turns over at midnight, they're immediately getting on their apps to go and schedule rides three days later. Understood. I want to keep going because so we're we have about eight or nine. Sure, I'm so. But no, thank you for listening. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. That's actually, and and I'm gonna when I close this call, I'm gonna give all of you some homework. It's optional because I don't. There's no report cards, uh, but I'm. But uh, you can ideas to think about. So we have time probably for two more. Okay. Uh, next we have Victoria. Go ahead, Victoria. Okay, we can move on to Sharon. Sharon, go ahead. Thank you. Uh, this is Sharon Strakowski in Worcester, Massachusetts. And for sure, we need some changes. I think I have two kind of questions. One of them is, um, is it definite in the law that the paratransit service area has to be, t has to be tied to the fixed route? Or is that negotiable? And the second question is, must there always be a shared ride component? We're talking a lot about demand on demand, which I think in my area right now is not going to happen right away. Um, so could we ever go to legally a totally on demand? So that's yeah, just let me answer, two yep, Let me answer your questions um, quickly. Uh, first off, the answer on the second part is yes. Uh, that was the whole point of the Dear Colleague letter uh, that I talked about at the beginning of the call. Um, that letter very explicitly says you can do on-demand paratransit. Uh, and in fact, the FTA is encouraging you, if you wish, to do so. So, And I thought of you when I saw the letter come out and read it, because I remember that you had a <laughs> transit director there who, who didn't understand um, this particular fact. So, so that letter is for you uh, and for your transit director. But um, with regard to the service area, that's a nuanced question. The answer is yes, but, and here's the yes. The yes is an agency can always do more than the law requires. The but is that the agency can't consider it, quote, ADA paratransit. Um, they can call, I mean, they can do it. There's, there's no reason that they can't do it. But ADA paratransit is, the intent is that it serves the areas that are served by transit because it's a civil right. So, okay. so, so, but it doesn't mean they can't do it. It just means that they can't, you know, they just can't pretend that it's complying with the law because the law doesn't actually require it. So Thank you. again, it's a little bit nuanced, but yes. Okay. Okay. One more. Yep. Victoria. Uh, okay. Yeah. I'm finally mm -hmm. unmuted now. I didn't realize. Okay. So like, so I don't 
understand why paratransit can't like just operate like a Lyft or Uber or something. Like it makes sense since like more than just blind people use the service. Like, what about people with other disabilities who don't drive? Or, like, the elderly or something? Like, it, it uh, seriously blows my mind that we don't have something like that. Well, I, I'm going to answer you and, and tell you that there's a couple things that there's there's a couple things I would say. One is, there there are instances when shared ride service makes sense. If you have eight people being picked up to go to the same location... For, for bingo, you know, for bingo night, um, you know, it may make sense to share those rides because these are subsidized services. The taxpayers pay for them. Um, and the industry probably can't afford um, for every trip to be provided without sharing. Um, so, so, so it's one of those things where at the time that the law was created, we didn't have the technology that we have today um, right. to, do on, to do on demand. But, right. but on demand isn't perfect for all trips. I think the key, though, is to tell passengers how much, you know, I, the industry, I mean, public transit, if you ride a bus or a rail train, those are shared <laughs> rides. You share them with the other people on those buses and trains. I think, you know, I, I'm not personally thinking that, that the FTA or the DOT or anybody is ever going to move away from the idea of public transit as a shared service. What I think we should be talking about is being able to request that ride, whether it's by yourself or shared, within an hour or two of the time that you wish to travel. Because if I use public transit, I need to, you know, I have to leave my house maybe a half an hour early to go walk out down to a bus stop and catch a bus. So it seems reasonable to me to think that I might have to call a little bit early to request a trip, but calling the next day seems to be onerous. Um, so I think you know these are the kind of things that we as a community need to spend a lot more time than we have on this call to really you know talk through. Um, you know, and, and what I would say, by the way, to Uber and Lyft, and you know, why can't we just have something like that? Right. I think I think that we largely could, but we also have to recognize that Uber and Lyft don't serve a lot of people. Um, they don't serve people who um, use wheelchairs um, in most communities. They don't serve uh, people who need the driver to get out of the vehicle and come to the door uh, and provide assistance. Um, they don't serve, in many cases, those of us who have service animals or guide dogs um, like me. Um, and I mean, I work for a company that's kind of solving for that. But 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 by and large, services like Uber and Lyft do not serve every customer. So when we start to talk about on demand, and this is one thing I do want to just remind people. Um, you know, let's let's as we as an as we as advocates speak, we need to speak for the service we need, and not and not for the brand that we want. Because none of the services that are in the marketplace that that really shouldn't be our focus. Our focus should be should be on what we want the service to deliver in terms of time, in terms of cost, right? In terms of coverage. Yeah, and that's that, what I yeah. pretty much meant. Like, why can't they have a service that operates, like, comparable mm -hmm. to the type yeah, of service that Uber and Lyft provides right. on demand? Just, yes, just better. Yes, no, I agree. Um, and I think that those are the kind of things that we need to, to dig into as a community. So, 
Um, in the time that we have left, I want to give all of you some optional homework. Um, and I know some of you, Sharon, Sue Ellen, you've heard me talk about this before. Um, we need to start documenting our, our you know, what we experience, because I think the time is going to come to tell stories, to tell stories about how your life is impacted by the service that that is being provided. And, you know, I was thinking about, um, I think it's Diana from, is it Diana from Tulsa, uh, from Tulsa um, or whoever the person yes. was from Tulsa? That's me, um, yes. You know, that's quite a story, you know, getting up at midnight, setting your alarm so that you can get up and get on an app that isn't even entirely accessible to request a trip three days in advance is a story that needs to be told because people don't understand it. Um, these are the kind of things that I want to encourage you to, um, uh, to write down when you have a really good trip and it, and it affects you, write that down and share why that's so powerful. When you have a bad trip, when you have a situation like, um, I think it was, um, Jules describing trying to go from Nashville to Clarksville and, and, you know, and how difficult that is, um, you know, I think it's 20 miles from Nashville to Clarksville. It's not very far. Um, and if you're in a car, it's super simple. But if you are a person who depends on paratransit, you know, it's, it's a trip you can't <laughs> even make. So, you know, telling these stories and talking about how it affects your life is going to become important. Uh, those are the kind of stories that have power with legislators. They have power with local boards because, because transit is a local issue. And then what we as advocates are going to need to do is we're going to need to assemble those stories and figure out how to explain this to people at a bigger level to say the these themes are you know we need to we need to work on these issues we need to figure out um you know what what do we what do we change and how do we do it one of the things that i think we need to do is we need to figure out what do we work on first um i hear on demand being at, at least of the people on this call on demand is probably the highest priority. Um, but I also hear some conversation around fares uh, and I hear some conversation around um, just you know service area, being able to uh, go anywhere within a community that that is within that community, whether or not there's a bus or a train. Some of these are gonna be harder to do than others, but this is a good place to start. So there'll be a lot more on this topic. We're out of time today. Uh, there will be a, a lot more conversation on this topic in the in the days and weeks and months to come. Um, I'm really grateful for all of you all uh, being a part of it. Just a, a plug for Accessible Avenue. Uh, you can go to our website, accessibleavenue.net. You can sign up for our biweekly blog post. Uh, it's an easy sign up. Just name and email address, and you can be on our list and get our get our uh, blog. Um, and today's blog is called Rethinking Paratransit. It just got published. Feel free to check that out. Um, and these calls are, we probably will not have another call um, this year just because of the um, the uh, the holidays are going to hit the next two Thursdays. Um, so, yeah. We are Hello. at the top of the hour. Okay, well. So anyway, that's it. Thank you, everybody. Thank you in Clubhouse. Thank you, Chanel. Thank you, Patricia. Bye, everyone. We will end the call. Have a good night, everybody.